0: state-of-the-art technology from NOCO, your battery care source since 1914. Get yours at GeniusChargers.com. Hello, automotive enthusiasts. Today, I'm very excited to introduce a very special guest, Alex Raphael. Alex, are you buckled up and ready for a wild ride?
1: Mark, I'm strapped in, and I actually have my goggles on just so... uh, with the speed of the wind that's going to be hitting us, uh, I'll be prepared to keep my contacts in.
0: <laughs> all right. I love it. Great to have you here. Alex Raphael founded Max RPM Motorsports in Bremerton, Washington in 1977 when he was only 17 years old. They service, repair, modify, and tune Porsche, BMW, Mercedes, Audi, Volkswagen, Ferrari, and Lamborghini automobiles. They do all sorts of maintenance and specialize in high-performance exhaust systems suspension components, and anything that maximizes performance on your special automobile. Every day, they strive to elevate performance to a new level. So Alex, I've told our listeners just a little bit about you. Would you please take a moment and share some more about your history, your business, your interests, and of course, your passion for automobiles that go fast?
1: When I started in 1977, I was in, just got out of high school, but I've always been kind of a tinker and a tweaker for performance, and I really started things uh, in the motorcycle side of it when I was uh, racing motocross. Basically, back then, you kind of had to do your own thing, and I basically started out uh, fiddling with my motors, perfecting them, making them faster, and won a lot of championships, 125, 250, and 500 uh, Northwest Motorcycle Association championships. My younger brother as he uh, grew up, became more and more uh, accomplished racer. And I ended up not racing as much and building engines. So I ended up uh, becoming really an engine builder and a, in a tuner way back in the seventies, early seventies. And, you know, I mean back in the day and ended up going to LA for a while, worked for American Honda, American Suzuki, uh, CH performance products, FMF flying machine factory, which is a really big name in the motorcycle motocross industry that's where I kind of started my start in business in that aspect. As motorcycles are really kind of a seasonal thing, especially in the repair side of it, I realized that people that had fast bikes and, and items like that also had cool cars. And so I became really intrigued with the automotive side as much as I did with the, the motorcycle side. So basically it kind of gravitated to the car thing. And that's where it kind of expanded. And Throughout the years, we just, you know, I just kept plodding along and expanding into the fields that kind of are part of the tuning side of it and, and the engine building side and then, and, you know, the service and maintenance side. So it's been a long journey. It's been many, many years. It doesn't seem like it's been that long ago.
0: Well, that's what happens when you're having fun.
1: <laughs> you're completely correct. At 56, which is my birthday's on Halloween, I look back and it's like, man, I I just turned 19, it seems like, a while back. <laughs>
0: Well, so your birthday's tomorrow. Well, happy birthday! That's exciting uh, to be born on Halloween. Nice treat for your mom way back when. But oh, it's, yeah. it's a great story because part of the journey here at Carjia yeah is talking to entrepreneurs, people that have figured out how to wrap their avocation into their vocation and and have some fun while they're doing it. So it's a wonderful story. And you're located up in Bremerton, which actually is just a little ways up the road from Gig Harbor in Washington area here on the on the Puget Sound. What made you settle there? Because you're kind of in an obscure location.
1: I mean, I get that all the time. I get people say, well, how come your shop's not like in Bellevue? You should move your shop to Bellevue. And I grew up here, and it's kind of strange because when before I moved to this location, I was actually up in, in an industrial complex, and it was kind of an appointment-only thing, which um, it was just myself. So people would make an appointment, and it was kind of nice because it was kind of obscure. My brother came on to kind of help me out back in like ooh, 2000, and it got a little more retail-oriented, so we moved, uh, found a place in here on 6th Street in Bremerton that was like this old dilapidated building that had just been an old uh, hot tub store, and we looked at it, and I saw a lot of potential in it. So we ended up uh, you know, getting it for basically nothing because it was a, pretty much a dump, and we uh, my wife, myself, my brother, and his girlfriend and some of my friends, we basically got out the broom and mops and the paintbrushes and uh, created a kind of a cool little place. And from there, it just expanded in the retail side. And then, of course, then you get into after hiring more people. And, you know, that was another challenge of, you know, business. And finally, the place where we are right now is was an old Les building. And this came about because... We had to. I had to come down to get some lug bolts for a car that had some weird, had a weird wheel on it. A Schwab, the building we're in right now, that was a block away. <laughs> so, <laughs> so actually, I walked down here and I asked. I go, "Hey, I need to get a couple of these," and they says, "Oh, we can't sell them to you because we're closing our business." Oh, and like, what? And I'm like, um, so they were in the middle of just shutting it down. There just wasn't enough business for them here for some reason, and so I happened to know the. Owner of the building and called him up immediately. So the building never got listed. He gave it to us for a a good deal so we could, you know, because he didn't want it to go, you know, unrented. And there we are. And here we are here. And a real funny quick story in that is that so while we were open at the other building, as the guys from La Schwab were moving out from the front and then moving their stuff out to the back, they were kind of had a couple weeks to do it. We were moving in as they were moving out. So the final move was moving all our toolboxes from up the hill, which is like a block away, and it's actually downhill to this shop. Mm-hmm. So I had my buddies at the police force, which I've known for a long time, and told them, I said, "Hey, we're gonna. I wonder if you could like shut the street down for like in in a for one block just so we could move our toolboxes." And so basically, we rolled all of our toolboxes down Sixth Street <laughs> about nine o'clock at night, and. They blocked the street off so we could roll them down and roll them into the parking and then roll them into the shops. Kind of funny.
0: <laughs> Toolbox parade. <laughs> yeah, it was yeah, it was it was pretty cool. That's a very neat story. I love that. Well, it's great, and you do you have created a nice destination location. And for people who have high performance cars and specialty cars and, and want the kind of service you have, it is a fun destination, a beautiful drive. And even if they're coming over from the other side, either across the ferry from from uh, Bremerton or up through uh, Tacoma Gig Harbor, so. It's definitely worth a drive. As we continue on your journey, I always like to start the show with a success quote. And this is a saying that's been instrumental in forming your life and your success. And it's a great way to get the inspirational tires turning here on Cars, yeah? So, Alex, I know you love to drive, so take the wheel.
1: There was a guy way back in the day when it was kind of tutoring me when I was learning how to become a mechanic or a technician way back when I was 12 and 13, coming home from school and going to a shop that I went to so I could work on my own bike and sweep floors to earn money for my parts. He always had this saying, which always stuck with me. And I always say it and people look at me weird, but it, it really makes sense. And it was, don't let fear and common sense hold you back.
0: It's a wonderful saying for entrepreneurs. <laughs> well, and a lot of people go,
1: oh, that doesn't make any sense. And I go, well, it does. If you let fear hold you back, you'll just be in the same seat that you're always in. And then common sense hold you back. Well, thing is, a lot of times in order to get anything done, common sense says you probably shouldn't do it. But that's because you have to push the envelope. And my wife said that a lot of times. Oh, I don't know about that, it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, but if you look at the whole picture, it will in the end. So that's always been a really big one to me. And I just have to always kind of say it to myself when sometimes I sit and go, well, I don't know about this or that. I just have to look at that saying. There's one other one too that a buddy of mine always used to say, he goes, get up and do it. (laughs) Yeah. I think those two things kind of have always been something that when I either feel like I'm getting stale or there's something that, you know, I feel like, oh, I don't know. I look at both of those and that really makes me, you know, just keep going.
0: Oh, yeah. I love those sayings. And there's a couple of things that go well together there. Fear, which a great acronym for fear is false evidence assumed real, and many times what you think doesn't seem like common sense. You kind of talk yourself into that through your fear, and your your fear convinces yourself why that doesn't make any sense, right? <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, no, that's a right, I, that's a good way to understand it. I I just always looked at it, it's like, hmm, but that's a great. I, I'm glad you said that because that really you know adds some insight to yeah.
0: Those things. And the second quote, just get up and do it, of course, if you're afraid, you're not going to just get up and do it. Or if you don't think that it makes a complete amount of sense, you may not get up and do it. So I love the way those three intertwine and go together. And that's why I love asking that question at the beginning of the show because it helps, helps us understand a little bit about what drives you. And any entrepreneur, any business person, there's a lot of fear. There's a lot of, gosh, should I do this? And there's an awful lot of, I better just start doing it. So... <laughs> I'm with you now. Yeah, yeah, those are great. Would you share with us a story that instigated your passion for cars? Tell us if you can remember back to that pivotal moment in your life when you really knew you were a car guy.
1: Well, yeah, you know, I had um, one of my customers, I always worked on his motorcycles, and he always would show up to shop in a Ferrari or in a Porsche, just all these really cool cars. And it was like, I go, man, that... That looks like a lot of fun and those are, you know, I'd, I'd like to be associated with that just because of the exclusivity of, the, of of his cars and stuff like that. And so this one time he, he called me up and he goes, hey, um, I got a proposition for you. I got a car that, you know, I need you to have picked up and, and work on if you can because it needs to be picked up at the shop that's been sitting there, you know, for a couple years now. And I, I go, well, what do you mean? He goes, well, when I graduated college and I started my business, I bought two 1975 Porsche 911 Carreras, an orange one and a black one. And one was for me and one was for my brother, who I was going to have him help me with my business now that it started doing really well. And he basically flaked out. And so the car was sitting back east. And I recently brought it out here and it's sitting in the shop, but it needs to be gone through. So if you can get it running and and get it back up to to being ready to either to sell – or maybe you might like to buy it, I'd give you a really good deal, but I just need to make some sort of progress with it. Yeah. I go, wow, because back in that day, that 75 Porsche Carrera was like a lot of money and it was, you know, it was a pretty cool deal. So the proposition worked out. I I got the car, went and picked it up from a shop, drove it, actually I was driving it back to my my shop that was up on top of the hill. And of course, I'm not real familiar with Porsches at that time. I looked down and there's little oil gauges like in the red. Hmm. And I'm freaking out because yeah. I'm thinking there's no oil. So I ended up pulling over to a service station and turned the key on. Of course, kept adding oil. to, <laughs> to the, Uh-oh. Yeah, this is a good one. <laughs> yeah, till the, the gauge was up to like a little over half, three quarters. I thought now I got oil in it. Well, unbeknownst to me, it was a you know a dry sump motor. And yep. So I'm driving down the highway just smiling. I got myself a new Porsche I'm going to fix up. And I look in the rearview mirror and all of a sudden I, I can't see anybody because it's just a wall of smoke yeah, filling up the, the highway. So a little learning curve back. Yep. It was like an injection of excitement. You know, I've had that with motorcycles. I've done racing and all that kind of stuff. But for some reason, I don't know what it was. I mean, everybody has their little moment of you know, what gets in their blood. Yeah. And I was a, a car freak at that point because it was just something I really wanted to do. Um, and I had the opportunity to get into a vehicle that I was, you know, excited about. But then I actually, you know, got bit with the Porsche bug. When I was really young, you always would see the picture of the 930 Turbo when it came out because yeah. that was the wide body. But so I, that would be my moment that I think that just made me be a complete car freak.
0: I had a similar moment in one sense that I started a detailing business when I was 14 years old. And In 1975, I would have been, oh gosh, 16, 17 years old, and I had a client who had a 75 Carrera, a brand new car that her husband had picked up, and she let me go over to the Porsche dealership in San Diego and drive that car back to my house and detail it before her husband got to see it. He was a fisherman. He was always out at sea. and So picking up a new Porsche 75 Carrera at a Porsche dealership for a 16-year-old kid and then driving it home, getting to wax it and Take it back to him was just oh my gosh, and
1: <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. I mean, those are the kind of things that just really you know change you know a person's you know destiny of what yeah you know, makes them feel where they want to go. I mean, oh I-
0: yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, Alex, what I want to do now is take a look at some of the roads you've driven down and and crawl under the hood and, and get our hands a little dirty here and ask you to share a, a challenge or even a great failure that you faced in your career. We all face these things. But more importantly, people love to hear how you overcame that situation and what you learned from it.
1: Okay, well, you know, I think one of the the biggest ones that, that, and it was real interesting, I was always still involved with the motorcycle side of our business. We had motorcycle and automotive because it was always a big part of me, but we really were starting to phase out the bikes just because of the amount of time that our big projects were on the automotive side that we started to uh, expand into. But um, BMW North America got a hold of us through one of our clients um, that was in their motorcycle division, and they were trying to set a speed record at Bonneville, Mm -hmm. and they knew that I was involved with with motorcycles. So kind of through the back door, they came to us and said, hey, we want you to build a a K1000 to break the land speed record. Wow. Bonneville. And you got two months to do it.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Like, really? (laughs) Oh, gosh.
1: Yeah. So we had a, a buddy that had some connections in Germany. He came up from San Francisco, stayed, actually stayed at my house out in my media room. We made a makeshift place for him to stay. And for like eight weeks, we started with... Two bikes that were just bone stock and basically made these things ready within the limits that we that we had to go down to Bonneville. So we ended up, you know, building a whole motor, turbocharging it, developing all this stuff. It was just like this 24-hour a day thing, getting this project ready. The bike was built and we got it started and did a, a basically a kind of a test run in the five o'clock in the morning before it had to be loaded up in the trailer and to take him down to Bonneville. And then we would do the final tuning down there because um, that's pretty much what we were left with. So all of this stuff builds up. We get everything done. I mean, I don't know how many hours, thousands of dollars of all of this time. Every time I talk to the, the so-called guy from BMW... It's like it doesn't matter what it costs because they really don't know what we're doing this is going to be this can't be run through BMW it has to be kind of run through the back door which was kind of a weird thing but the skunk works <laughs> yeah it was seriously and we're like, I'm like okay um and then of course I would talk to my my connection between him and BMW I go hey what is this about he goes no nah, don't worry about it it's all good i'm like man it was just kind of weird but so we get down to Bonneville and we start doing some I have to we have to ride the bike and do some more testing because we hadn't really filled all of that here at the shop on the dyno so it'd been kind of wet down there it was my one of my technicians and myself have to get on this bike and ride it and be able to get it up and boost enough to be able to see what some of the tuning we have to do and this thing's putting out like 350 370 horsepower at the wheel just basically on a on with no tuning on it mm-hmm. and here we are I don't even have riding gear other than my shoes and a helmet. So in the end, there was a test track. We, um, we had the actual driver of the bike, Andy Sills, and then Lee King, which was uh, one of my, my techs that went down there. And they actually threw that in, some, in our daddling, we got it tuned to where it would run the best that it could. BMW forgot to tell us with that motor that they were having issues with the number three rod bearing melting. Um, they were replacing motors because of that problem. So here we are, we're on the actual test track before we actually did a run with it. And Andy Sills is probably up to 180 miles an hour. And all of a sudden we start seeing some smoke come out of the back of the bike. And all of a sudden this big plume and it ignited, just it exploded itself all over the place. The rod came out through the cases. Oh, geez. Um, it was just total chaos. So they get the bike in and and of course, Andy gets off the bike and he goes, well, I was wondering how long it would take before that would happen. And I'm looking at him. Like, yeah. And I go, what? And he goes, oh, they they didn't tell you? And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> no. no. And he goes, oh, yeah, I, my road bike, I've had to replace three motors because of the, that rod bearing going out. Oh, my gosh. I, so when the BMW big wakes came down, we ended up talking to them and they were like, yeah, well, we just wanted to see how far we could get that project to go. Um, and we knew there might be a problem but we didn't want you to stop about it because i don't think there were that there was really a fix you guys could have done so we spent all this time and basically shut the shop down because it took myself and two other architects and then this other counterpart and to end up with really Nothing. just a ball of, ball of broken parts yeah but in the end and we i mean we got paid for it and stuff but so it was really bizarre we were we went and had this big press conference at this hotel and this awards banquet thing that they were having for all of their dealers for this big event, which basically never got off the ground. And we got a, this really nice award and acclamations for all the work we did. And then after we got back home, um, I got a call from one of the big wigs. Can't tell his name because I don't really know how far back this goes to being, nobody should know about it. And they <laughs> wanted, they said, hey, okay, so we're going to do this for next year and we want to. How much will it cost to do it? And then you tell us, and we'll just we'll you know we'll make it happen. So it was like about two hundred thousand dollars. We came up with a a plan. They said, okay, yeah, no problem. They sent us out fifty thousand dollars. They sent two bikes out, and they we got started on it in January. At the end of January, I get a call that's like, don't do any more. Stop where you're at. And that's of course when the economy was going haywire, and there was a lot of changes, and it was just like out of the blue it just stopped. So it was a really unique thing because, you know, we, we did something, you know, we didn't put any limits on it. We built something that was really incredible and we made it happen. And even though we had our, the issues that, you know, probably even if we knew about, we couldn't have done anything about, we still prevailed. And, you know, BMW was excited and wanted us to move forward even with that, the so-called failure. Yeah. And because of what we had done.
0: Let's shift gears here and go to the other end of the spectrum and, I'd love for you to share a story when you had a real aha moment about your business, a time when you realized, you know what, I think this is something real. This is going to make it. This is going to be something. And and tell us the steps that you took to turn that aha moment into a success.
1: We do a lot of engine tuning, and we were using a lot of different vendors to you know supply certain software stuff for us, and which and they were all great companies, and we still use them. So the the tuning part was our weak length of you know, being able to get things done in a manner and to our actual personal excellence that we wanted. So this one day I was like, I was like, you know, we need to be able to bring all our own tuning in house or be able to have the ability to do everything and whatever we needed outsourced, we have the control right at our own fingertips. So um, it was kind of like, you know what? Um, There's a couple companies that you know I've known of that we've I've kind of been in contact with. So we ended up saying I have to go to SEMA. We're going to meet these people, and we ended up going down there and started an adventure of you know our own separate company called LevelOneTech.com, which is basically it's a tuning company, special projects, and R&D company. So that was kind of an aha because it was like you know here's what we aha, if we do this this is going to be a good road for us to go up and it's actually been working out well.
0: Can you recall what your proudest moment in your business was? Well, you know, there's a
1: lot of lot of them, but there was kind of one, the big push back in 05 and 06 and 07, you know, all the Porsches were, it was the big, how much horsepower can you get? And it was like, everybody's building these monster engines. There's still a lot of big builds going on like today, but Back then, there was a. They were still in their teething as far as some of the components and and the designs and the and the assemblies of these things. But working on a car that we had here, when it first started out, a client brought it in. He wanted it to, you know, have more power and more power. But in the end, when we got done with it, the car put out eleven hundred and seven horsepower at all wheels and was 968 foot pounds of torque. Whoa. There were some other cars that were close to that, like some 997s. I don't know if there were really any more than that, but at that point for a couple, three years at least, it was the most powerful 996 twin turbo in the world. Wow. Because there's a lot of guys that say, oh yeah, we got this amount of power, but ours are always at the wheels. So I mean, and that was kind of cool because when I look back at it, I mean, that was, it didn't really register so much that that is pretty cool. Mm -hmm. So I think that was probably one of the uh, biggest ones.
0: Man, that's a monster. <laughs> well, let's have a little fun here. What was your first really special car? And perhaps you could share a memory you had with that vehicle.
1: There's a couple different ones, but I think one of the one of the special ones was I got a it was a 1989 Mercedes CE 300 CE coupe and uh it was a European version. I really wanted to get the car cuz it was like that was the, you know, the big thing of the hammer you know AMG cars and and the thing was I thought it was really cool because you know it had or headlight wipers on it. Oh yeah. It had a lot of cool things it was European. Of course back then you had to get it converted you know to US spec. Sure. And it was so cool and then me as a you know tinker I ended up doing um a Lorenzer body kit on it and um you know the Lorenzer wheels and and it was just was a really cool, special car I did with Carlos Seeds. So it was my first really in-depth personalization on a car that was just for me.
0: Very cool car. Speaking about cars, in seller's remorse here, this can be, this is always a painful question. Is there a vehicle that you've let go in your past that you really wish you could have back?
1: Well, yeah. That 1975 Porsche 911 Carrera that uh, yeah. I got, it was black on black. It was low mileage. It had like 37,000 miles on it. And it was all original. I mean, it was, there wasn't anything done to it yeah. because, and so that, yeah, if I had that car now, I, you know, I could probably pay my house off maybe.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, it's funny, the 75s, you know, those Carreras, I mean, the 73s are the Holy Grail, but yeah. uh, that Holy Grail price is, is floated the boat up, if you will. Now you're seeing those 74 and 75 Carreras come up, but yeah, they're special cars. They're, they're just so nice. So Sorry to sorry bring up that painful memory. No, 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 because,
1: <laughs> and the thing funny was about it is that I got rid of that car. I hadn't done anything to it. It was all perfectly stock. I mean, it had been, I hadn't gotten into the, you know, the asset personalization. So, yeah, I kind of look back at that and it's like,
0: yeah. Even better. Yeah, even better. How about current projects? Is there something that you guys are working on right now that really has you excited and fired up? Got some pretty cool ones.
1: I just bought an 08 CLK 63 AMG Black Series. Oh, nice. That we're going to be doing some fun stuff too. It's in progress right now. Um, And then we got a couple other ones. I got an 08 GT2 uh, Porsche um, that we're doing a 4.2 liter stroker motor on. Oh, Um, wow. Their goal, at least for what the customer wants, he wants 1,400 horsepower, which is
0: very achievable. 1,400 horsepower?
1: (laughs) Yeah, you know, I have to laugh about it because it makes no sense, but... But then I look at it, I go, it, it does make sense because I, I kind of did the same thing. I, yeah. I just finished up an O2, uh, my yellow turbo. You know, it's about a thousand or so at the wheel. It's a little bit less tuned than that, but it's a really cool project that I just finished. I mean, it's been our, our kind of our beta platform car that we've used for a lot of different things. But I finally got to the point where now it's it's done. So those are some cool ones. I mean, there's a lot of other ones that come and go, but as of right now.
0: You know, what comes to mind here is I interviewed Alois Roof uh, earlier this week. And, of course, being Porsche guys, we all know who Alois Roof is. Oh, yeah. And his, uh, his 1987 Yellowbird and, you know, building a, a Porsche up into a, a super monster supercar, if you will. And and uh, I was just, as you were telling me that story, I was thinking about talking with him earlier this week and him telling me the story about the Yellowbird and putting all that power in that car and, and going to that road and track test and actually winning uh, amongst all these other major manufacturers. And he said he actually drove the car to the event. Everyone else trailered their cars, but <laughs> he didn't have the money. So he actually drove there. So great story. If you were a car, what kind of car would you be and why?
1: All right. Well, yeah, I looked at that. There's probably a lot to choose from. I'd be an F1 car, and it's because they're just badass. They're, <laughs> they're just like the epitome of technology and coolness. And I went to every F1 race when it was at Indy. And the experience of that is just like, unless you've ever gone, you just, you don't know what it's like. It is
0: incredible. Yeah. I went to those Indy races when you're there. And I was lucky because I got special passes from Ferrari. So I got to go down to the pits. I got to hang out with the drivers. I mean, it was a dream come true trip. And I remember standing there when the cars are going down that straightaway and at Indy, you're kind of got that enclosure on the straightaway. (laughs) And I, I think my ears bled for a week. I mean, just incredible. And that was back when the car sounded really good.
1: It's something at 18,000 RPM. Yeah. It's just, unless you hear it and can feel it, you just don't know what it's like. It's just, there's just no, no explanation
0: for it. All right, Alex, we're entering the last lap. And this is where I fire off a series of questions. And you give our listeners some very quick blips of the throttle answers. So you're buckled up. Are you ready? I'm ready. Rock and roll. All right. What's the best automotive advice you've ever received? When it's perfect, you're done. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> That's perfect. Can you share one of your personal habits that you believe has contributed to your success?
1: Yeah, you know, work clean. It gives you and your customers and your clients a, a good feeling.
0: Do you have a resource that you could share with our listeners that you really enjoy? Maybe it's a website you go to often, or maybe it's a blog that you receive. You know, there's a buddy of mine uh,
1: taught at Protomotive that uh, he's a Porsche guy, and uh, it's funny because. I'll fire him off stuff, and then he'll email me back, and then or we'll talk. And it's kind of cool because he's a another business that it's not really a competitor. He's I, I use a lot of his his input, and mm-hmm. but bottom line is he's like really down to earth guy, and he's like he goes that's cool. Yeah, I wish I would have thought of that or whatever. We kind of go back and forth, but it's kind of nice because somebody of a peer that. Is really congratulatory towards your work and says how good it is when, and that's a good feeling to have somebody a resource like that.
0: You can bounce ideas back off each other. How about books? Is there a book that you've read in the past that you'd love to share with the listeners that you were real fond of?
1: Well, you're going to laugh at this one. It's just really different. I read it a long, long time ago, but it was a "It's Out on a Limb" by Shirley MacLaine.
0: Oh, okay.
1: <laughs> it may not have anything to do with automotive stuff, but it, there is some things in there that were like, just was kind of eye-opening in a lot of things. Just when I had to think about it, I've read, I don't read a lot, but there's a lot of books I have read. But when that was one that I actually was really into reading and had to read it until I was done.
0: I'll remind our listeners that you can find links to all these resources at carsyad.com slash Raphael, and his last name is R-A-P-H-A-E-L. All right, Alex, we're up to the checkered flag here. And this last question can be a real doozy for some car people like you. If you could only have one collector car in your garage, and this is something you can't sell to buy other cars with, so you can't pick that GTO that went for $38 million this summer <laughs> down in Monterey. But money's no object. I'm going to buy you whatever you want today. Christmas is coming a little early. What would that vehicle be and why?
1: Okay, well, this is a funny one because it would be a 1986 930 Turbo. It'd be red and it'd be black. And the reason I say that is because I just sold my 1986 930 Turbo, which is red and black. Uh But it's the coolest car I've ever owned. And it's kind of one of these things. It's like, I probably want to get another one. But for the amount of money I was offering for this one, it's like I couldn't say no to selling it. Yeah. Even my wife says ah, that's the coolest car that we've ever had, and I says I know, but you know I've got all these other things going on, and maybe someday we'll get another one. So if that would be it, that would be the car that I would. That would be it.
0: Well, I've got an '87 930 in oh, my garage, and that's uh, metallic orange paint to sample. I've, po- seen black. Yeah. I've seen that car. Yeah.
1: That car, that thing is incredible. But I'm sorry, you can't have it.
0: It's no. not for sale right now. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I know what you mean. They are great cars, super fun cars, and uh, just something special about those. And brings back the memories of my youth when the Turbo came out in the 70s. And the dream car, I had the poster of the one flying over the hill at the Nurburgring, you know. just I, uh, I have that. Yeah, kills bugs yeah. fast. Yep. Yeah. yeah, that was a great one. <laughs> Well, Alex, you've taken us on a great ride today, and I've really enjoyed sharing this time with you and in this journey. And a happy early birthday again to you, since tomorrow's your birthday. Yeah, thanks. Would you give our listeners one parting piece of guidance before you drive off into the sunset in that 930 Turbo?
1: Um, you bet. Just like I kind of started out with, don't let fear and common sense hold you back. You got to go for it and get up and do it because they both, like you said earlier, they work together. Whether it's you know going to the gym or going whatever it is, just get up and do it. Um, because when you're done, you'll look back and go, wow, I'm glad I did that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. That's great advice. And what's the best way for our listeners to learn more about you and Max RPM?
1: We have a website. It's uh, MaxRPMMotorsports.com. Our other site is level1tech.com, L-E-V-E-L, number1tech.com. And those are both our, our businesses that we do, and um, it's pretty easy to get a hold of us that way.
0: Again, you can find these links at com slash Alex Raphael. Just go in and type Alex into the search box. His show notes page will pop up, and links to everything we've talked about today, including his businesses, will show up. Hey, Alex, I want to thank you for being so generous with your time and your expertise today and and for sharing your experiences with me and the listeners. It's been great fun. Have a great time at SEMA, and until we talk again, I'll see you down the road.
1: All right, Mark. Thank you so much.
0: You're welcome. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah! Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes
1: and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up